buried beneath the rubble of time are stories of God's sovereign hand moving in our great nation. Many believers, hopeless, frustrated, and confused, have all but given up on America. But we have faced dark times before, and by divine providence, overcome. From our studio on Capitol Hill, I'm your host, Brad Wells, with Pastor Mike Creed, Joe Kirby, and Andrew Friedenstein. We have memorialized the sacrifice of soldiers who died for our freedom. Today, we look at the sacrifice of those who live. Take a moment with us to look back and find hope from history. Today, we're going to look at a story from the Vietnam War. A major military offensive was underway known as Operation Birmingham. And there was a Lieutenant Frank de Orsi. Uh, I believe I'm saying his last name right. Mm -hmm. He and his platoon was assigned to assist in the loading up of helicopters. How Vietnam worked most of the time when they would do a major offensive is they would use helicopters to ferry the soldiers into an area, and then the helicopters would fly back to base and pick up more soldiers or supplies, food, ammunition, and then ferry those back and forth. And that's how those offenses work because the jungle was so dense and such right. a mountainous region. And so his job and his platoon, they were at base, and their job was to load up the helicopters with supplies. Uh, so it was very, uh, very hot, very hard work. It was under pressure. It was constant. You're moving, you know, massive totes, you know, with helicopters. Because the goal, of course, with the helicopters is to be on the ground as short as time as possible. Right. And so they're doing this. They're loading the helicopters up. But after they do this a couple times, the helicopters come back and the uh, chief there on the helicopter told them, signaled to them to don't load up the helicopter, come over here and help me unload something from the helicopter. So this time the helicopter actually brought something back. And so the lieutenant and his uh, men run over there and they look inside the helicopter and they are completely shocked by what they see and they recoil. Um, and the helicopter is completely full of body bags. Wow. Some of the body bags are torn open, and, and wow. they see these soldiers that have been shot, that have been had mortars hit them. I mean, just, just mangled and uh, killed in horrible ways. Mm. And, of course, all the men are you know, just shocked by what they're seeing. That's not what they were expecting. Right. But the lieutenant, though, he, he's leading these men. He knows what's got to happen. He knows he has to unload these body bags as quick as possible and then load up the supplies that the soldiers that are still out there, still fighting, need. And he's got to do that as quick as possible. Um, so he, as he describes it, he put his emotions in kind of a deep, dark corner of his mind yeah. and just reached in there, grabbed a bag, and just started yanking on it. He told himself, don't think about it. It's only bags. He begins unloading one, then he turns around, shouts at his men, and says, don't think about it, just do your job. Wow. And so all the men start dragging these bodies out as quickly as possible, right? Uh, laying them down. Again, treating you want to treat them with respect, but sure. the people who are still alive are depending on these supplies that they're trying to get in seconds matter. And so getting them out as quickly as they can and putting them back and they had to do this all day, and again and again, every time they would launch an offensive, he would do this. And he said he got better at um, putting his emotions 
in a deep, dark corner of his mind, as he said it. And he continued to do that. And his feelings just never entered the picture. He didn't process what he was seeing. Well, he left. Uh, of course, the war was over. He survived the war, praise the Lord. And he goes home. Uh, but like so many soldiers, especially during the Vietnam area, they struggled with coming home. Um, he ignored his emotions in everyday life. And then what would happen, though, is it would kind of just fill, his emotions would fill up, and then they would just boil over on his family, on who's ever around him. And he just had uh, a hard time with it. And he admits that it took him years and even decades to kind of back into an even keel. It was one of those sayings that the soldier left the battlefield, but the battlefield didn't leave the soldier. Right. You know, I, I, I was thinking about Pastor Don Chitty. Uh, we had him for our Veterans Day a few years ago. He's a pastor in New Mexico to the Navajo Indians, and God has used him greatly, but he shared with me this same situation about how it comes back. He literally uh, has three Purple Hearts. Uh, he was on the battlefield, was wounded. Literally, they thought he was dead, put him in a body bag, loaded him in a helicopter, and as he got up in the air, one of the fellows said, uh, sir, we have one moving. And he said, no, that's, that's, that's just muscles, you know, and that's just kind of some reflexes. He said, no, sir, we have one moving. They unzipped it, and he wakes up in the helicopter wounded in a pile of bo body bags. Wow. And he shared the experience, and he said, I'll never get over it. Uh, honestly, it's affected him and, you know, just – and sudden things that happen around him, yeah. you can't sneak up on him. Yeah. And, and uh, he's a man's man. Right. Uh, but uh, when I think about this sacrifice, it's amazing yes. to understand, you know, we live in this country. We wake up every morning. We never think about this type of thing. But these folks have experienced great sacrifice, being wounded. Right. And now they come back here, and it's still there in their mind. Mm -hmm. Exactly right. And we... We, as you know, individuals, uh, we talk with soldiers, and of course, we respect them and, and we honor them. But it's really hard to understand unless you're in the situation that you know they sacrifice. They didn't make the ultimate sacrifice, praise the Lord, but they have to. Uh, they've been fundamentally changed in a way by the things they've seen, uh, uh, maybe physical trauma, mental trauma, emotional, and so uh, to help us with this we have a guest today retired yeah. captain uh scott miller is uh on the phone with us in and, the army uh in the army that's right not the navy the army uh the best branch of the military right scott that's right that's right and so uh scott how long did you serve in the uh army well i i've got uh 20 years total i've got a combination of both uh of national guard reserve and active duty well, th first of all, thank you for your service, and um, uh, what a blessing it is just to have men like you that would be willing to serve, and praise the Lord that you made it back, because you were over in, uh, over in the Middle East during our recent wars. Can you kind of tell us just maybe uh, how many years you spent over uh, overseas, and what your role was? Well, I was an embedded trainer with the Afghan Army. That meant that uh, I actually lived with and trained uh, the Afghan soldiers to stand up their army. How was the food? Uh, I, How was the food over there, Scott? Actually, you know, um, a, a lot of people got sick from the food. I did not. <laughs> I, I, 
I I contribute that to the years that I had to suffer with my sisters learning how to cook. Oh my soul! Oh, I, hope you, I hope she's not listening today. Oh, both my sisters. I tell you, they they were a mess. Uh, we had to eat. My family was not very well off. We we were poor per se, but we whatever was put in front of us, we had to eat. And oh, when they so, were learning how to cook, so you did that in Afghanistan. Okay. Uh, right. So when I was in Afghanistan, I actually enjoyed a lot of the food. Um, they have this bread that they have over there. It's called naan bread, and it is—it's a flatbread, and it, it is fantastic. It is one of my favorite things that I remember about Afghanistan. So, what was it? Uh, so, you're over there. How how long were you over there again? I was there three weeks shy of a year. Okay, and so you're over there. What was it that you did on a daily basis as a captain? What was your role? Well, I was on a team. We were supposed to have eleven people on our team, but we only had. We only had eight, and uh, we were to retrain the soldiers. We, we, we literally got them from basic training uh, when they did their basic training, which is a lot more um, relaxed than ours. Uh, theirs is three weeks long. Ours is, is eight weeks long. And uh, then we literally uh, would train them how to do, you know, things that soldiers would do, uh, three to five second rushes, how to, how to zero your weapon, how to uh, do a formation, uh, how to go out and, you know, do – um, your, your combat uh, routine kind of thing, you know, how to search a building and that kind of thing. And we did that for like anywhere from uh, two to four weeks, depending on um, how good these soldiers were. And then we literally started doing missions, uh, going outside the wire and going patrolling and, and looking for bad guys. Um, I heard your, your time there got cut short. What happened? What kind of injury or accident uh, cut your time off there in Afghanistan? Well, my... Uh, I was out on a patrol with uh, with uh, Sergeant Wayne Cornell. He's an E5 that I did a lot of my patrols with. And we were actually on our way back from being out for 14 days. And we came to a, uh, a riverbed that we normally uh, cross or actually drive on, but it's, it's normally um, it's normally dry, and it's called Wadi is what that is. And, uh, but there was a lot of water in it at this time, and about 16 inches of water. And... Uh, we decided we could make it across, and we were gonna we were gonna continue on our way. And uh, Sergeant Wayne Cornell, when when he got to the water, uh, he hit it kind of hard, and the wall of water came up. And I'm in the turret, and I'm oh no, and I got splashed with water. I didn't get soaked, but because I did have my Gore-Tex on, but I did get wet. Mm-hmm. And um, and we we made it across the riverbed without too many problems. And uh, when we got back on the main road. Um, we're driving and we had about, I, we had about another hour before we got back to our fire base. Uh, when I got to the fire base, I could feel that my face, uh, was, was, was on, was very numb and my lips were very swollen. And I said something to Sergeant Cornell. I said, Hey, you know, do, do, do my lips look bad? And, and he said, well, you do look uh, different, sir, but I think you're just, you know, cold from, from, it, you know, it was so cold out. It was 32 degrees and wow. uh, okay. All right. I'll, uh, you're probably right. All right, go ahead and take care of yourself, and um, I'll see you in two days. You've got two days off, and I'll see you when, when you get back. And uh, so that that night, um, about four o'clock in the morning, I was in bed asleep, and um, all of a sudden my eyes just woke, came open, and I I couldn't close it. And I really thought I was dreaming. I didn't really put two and two together at the time. And so I took my hand, closed my eyelid, and I put my face back on the pillow, and I went back to sleep. And about five, five thirty, six o'clock, people are starting to get up and get ready for the day. And 
And uh, I didn't. I was off, so I was trying to sleep through everybody getting ready and whatnot. I kind of rolled over, and a master sergeant I shared a tent with he saw my face, and he's like, "Sir, sir, you know something's wrong. You, you really are messed up." And I said, "No, I'm fine. I'm fine." And I sat up, and left side of my face had completely collapsed. Uh, uh, my cheek literally was dangling, and my left side of my mouth was was open. I couldn't close it, and my eyelid would not close. Uh, it would stay wide open, and. And the colonel I shared a, uh, a tent with, and Lieutenant Colonel, he said, uh, Captain, you're having a stroke. I said, I'm not having a stroke. Uh, long story short, they, they ended up medevacking me because they, they were afraid I was having a stroke. Uh, two years I was at Walter Reed as a patient. Actually, two years and three months to the day uh, I was a patient at Walter Reed. And um, after being there my, my first six months, they, they finally diagnosed me, I'm not making this up, as MUPS. Medically unexplained physical symptoms, and for a year and a half, that's what my diagnosis was. And because they couldn't prove, I didn't have any any anything in my bloodstream to show that I had um, a nerve agent, so they couldn't. That's why I never got a Purple Heart. So during the, so show, during all this time, you really don't know what's happening. Correct. You don't know. Your wife doesn't know what's correct. going on, and you're just kind of in this limbo as all these doctors are running all these tests and oh, a, a trying to figure out and bringing in this specialist and I'm going to call this specialist yes. and all this stuff is happening. And you're they just hoping that. And on top of that, they call you a mutt. Okay. And uh, <laughs> no, I, I think it was mups. Oh, mups. Okay. I'm mups. Sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So would they, would they attribute this? To, is this like a PTSD type of thing or is that what they would call that? No, no. Uh, PTSD is, is a psychological uh, disorder that, that a lot of soldiers uh, come home with. Um, 100% come home with uh, at least phase one. There's five different phases of PTSD. And um, um, uh, 100% of soldiers uh, that actually that, that go out and do any type of missions on a regular basis come back with at least a level one. And level one is where you're hypersensitive of your surroundings. Um, the slightest noise behind you, especially you turn to see what's going on. Um, you always see whoever comes through the door. You're always, you pay attention to whoever comes through the door. Um, you're, you're aware of, of exit. When you walk into a room, the first thing you look for is an exit. And, uh, it's, it's more because you're, when you're out and about, you have to be aware of mm -hmm. what's going on around you. And the, the, the higher you go in the PTSD, in other words, you know, once you get to a level five, um, you get extremely angry uh, very easily. You're you're um, very paranoid of anything that you can't see. If there's something going on outside that you can't see what's going on, you're very nervous about what's going on outside. Um, mm. You can hear people talking, but you don't know why they're talking. Well, what's going on? What are they are they plotting against me? Or are they are, are they doing something to, to, to hurt people here? Um, your back is always to the wall. Wow. You always have your back to the wall. Well, you um, have so really. I can't come up behind you. You, Scott, you have really come a long way. God has, God has blessed you, you know, being in our church and serving there and even being the deacon. And, and uh, we appreciate your sacrifice and how God used you there in Afghanistan. Well, the, the support that my wife and I have received from the church is, is I, I, there are just no words for it. Uh, the people have welcomed my wife and I with open arms and have given us nothing but support and encouragement from the first day we've been there. Yeah. Uh, I can't say enough good things about the church and the people in the church. Well, what I think 
uh, thank you so much for talking with us today and to our listeners. But I really think what you brought home through that, through your physical injury, I mean, talking about uh, the PTSD some, is that, again, a soldier can leave the battlefield, but he carries the things that happened there with him as he tries to get back into, quote-unquote, a normal life. But that transition isn't always smooth. It's very difficult for some people. But in reality, though, they're going through that on our behalf because they're serving on our behalf and for our country. And we here as um, Americans that are not in active duty need to remember that and be that uh, support that they need. And the hope element that we can draw from this, guys, is that this is, uh, you know, the conversation about PTSD. More and more people are becoming aware of it, as we should. Uh, But to me, the encouraging thing about it is we still have today people signing up to preserve and protect our country uh, in our military, knowing that uh, they're going to face some of these things, knowing that they're going to have a hard time if they go to the battlefront with, you know, coming back to, quote, unquote, the normal life, the homeland, and reintegrating once they retire from the service. But they're still willing to go through that, to make that sacrifice, to keep on living um, on our behalf. And that's just amazing. Uh, It's a great testament to our people and our citizens as Americans. Well, I I appreciate you saying all that. The the thing with PTSD is a lot of people don't know that it stands for post-traumatic stress disorder. And it's it's a, it's it's usually a, a combination of tragedies that happen to a person that that stays with them, and some people it manifests uh, over time and becomes even more and more uh, terrorizing as they go on. And it's something that definitely people need to know more about and be forgiving of when people start to act out with it, because it's, it's not something a person can control. Um, yes, there's medication for it, but that's even suspect and helping a person control it so anyway i appreciate you you shedding light on this i really do i'm just so moved today um thinking about the sacrifice of others and what all has been given for me for each one of us individually of course it's given for all but it's it's given for each and that is that is something we must be able to understand and we, we've got to incorporate into our daily lives in order to, to be worthy of the sacrifice that was paid. Yeah, it's given to all, but has to be individually appreciated. That's it. So. There is hope because we are surrounded and blessed by men and women who are willing to continue to pay the price of war. Be sure to listen each week and find more hope from history. Learn more on our website, awakeamericaonline.org. Subscribe, share, consider partnering with us in prayer.